Thank you, Cliff. If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in Exodus chapter 20, continuing our series going through the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, starting this morning in verse 8 and going through verse 11, I believe. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8 and going through verse 11, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy." Most Sundays in my household look roughly the same. We get up, we go to church, we grab food on our way home, eventually we'll take a short nap, and then we have to decide what we're going to do for dinner. And it almost never fails when we're having that discussion, what are we going to have for dinner on Sunday evening? One of us turns to the other and inevitably says, you know what sounds really good? Chick-fil-A. There's just nothing better in my head than having a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich on a Sunday evening. I don't usually crave Chick-fil-A the rest of the week. It's good. I like it, but I'm not always dying to have it. But on a Sunday evening, I don't know. It's just something about it sounds like just the perfect meal. However, I have never had Chick-fil-A on a Sunday evening, and neither have any of you, because as you probably know, Chick-fil-A, the fast food chain, is closed on Sundays. They've been closed on Sunday since the first restaurant opened in 1946. And from their website, if you go and look, they have a a section on there that says why they're closed on Sundays. And they say that they're closed on Sundays so that employees can set aside one day each week to rest and worship if they so choose. Chick-fil-A, the restaurant, is trying to obey the fourth commandment, to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. But is that actually necessary the way that they're doing it? Should all restaurants do this? Do you have to be closed on the Sabbath day, Sunday? What about barbershops? Could they be open? What about soup kitchens? Could they be open? What about gas stations? Are they allowed to be open on the Sabbath day? Questions like these, what do we do on the Sabbath? How do we observe it now as Christians? They surround all of our discussions of the Sabbath to this day. And I have to be honest with you. I have to warn you up front, I will not answer all of your questions concerning the Sabbath this morning. There's just more to deal with on this commandment than there is on most of them because of the intricacies of our modern life, because of the way that our world works around us and the way that Christ has both fulfilled and transformed this commandment for us. I'm going to leave more meat on the bone than I like to when it comes to this commandment, particularly about the Sabbath. But while I can't answer all your questions, I do hope to still be able to answer the four questions that we are going to answer for every of the Ten Commandments that we go through in this series. Uh, First of all, why is forgetting the Sabbath wrong? Second, how do we break this commandment? What does that look like for us today? Three, how has Christ fulfilled or transformed this commandment? And there's going to be a special emphasis this week on how he's transformed it, because I think that's where most of our discussions around the Sabbath end up. And four, what do we do to obey this command now? 
So in light of all that I have to talk about this morning regarding the Sabbath, let's just jump into our first question. Why is forgetting the Sabbath wrong? Why should we remember the Sabbath? Well, I'll give four reasons, all of which I think can be found in today's verses. First of all, we should remember the Sabbath from this text because we are a forgetful people. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The rest of the Ten Commandments, uh, they're commands. They're not really reminders. It's something new for the most part that God is saying, even if it's things they should have already known and understood. Their commands, even though the Israelites likely already had a basis of understanding regarding the content of the other nine, but even though they weren't all new, only this one comes as a command simply to remember something. The fourth and the fifth commandment, what we'll cover next week, those are the only two we'll see that are positive commands. All the other ones are, do not do this thing. Do not make uh, other images. Do not murder. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your mother and father. Rather than you shall not, it's remember and honor. It's a positive command. So we should remember rather than forget. And God has to tell us because we are such a forgetful people. We are prone to forget his Sabbath. But we shouldn't remember the Sabbath day for no reason. We should remember the Sabbath day because it's holy, he says. Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. It's the second reason why it would be wrong to forget the Sabbath. It's a holy day. We don't establish it as holy. We keep it holy. We recognize it as holy. It was holy before we got there. We simply remember and recognize what is already true about that day. It's already a day which God has set apart and made distinct for his own purposes. So it would be wrong for us now to violate that act of setting this day apart as special unto him by forgetting this day. And he gives us so much clarification here. He doesn't just say the one verse like we get with so many of the other commandments. He gives us so much elaboration on what it actually looks like to obey this command. So much clarification, laying out exactly what it means for the people of Israel to obey this command particularly. It's his day. He determines what is done or not done on it. There's no work on this day. Not for anyone in the gates. Not for rich, poor, old, young male or female, servant or free, man, beast, outsider, insider. There's no work for anyone on this day, God says. And that's what the word Sabbath really means. It's a Hebrew word meaning to cease, to stop. You work the other six days, but on this day, you stop. It's a holy day of rest. So forgetting its distinct nature as the one day set apart for these purposes is wrong. We should follow God's example regarding this day, the text says. That's the third reason why it would be wrong to forget the Sabbath, because it's God's example for us. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. If we're supposed to be like him in all things, in all ways, then that evidently includes resting on the seventh day, under the Old Testament law at least. Even God rested, even though he wasn't tired. So why should you be any different? Why would you not need a day of rest, a time of rest, 
a season of rest, set apart to be holy for the purpose of rest that he's given you. Do you imagine yourself as more self-sufficient, as less in need of rest, maybe as more necessary to the proper spinning of the earth on its axis than God Almighty? Well, surely not. So if he can rest, then surely you can rest as well. It's his example we follow. So failing to remember Sabbath rest is to set apart yourself not to God, but apart from God. It's to say, yeah, you can rest, but I'll keep working. I'll keep going. And ultimately, from our text, it's wrong to forget this day because God gave it as a blessing to us. The end of verse 11. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Would you so quickly shun God's blessing in a day of rest? Is work really so fulfilling that it's better than the blessing of God? This day, this time of rest that he's given you, it's for your good. It's a blessing. So breaking this commandment, spurning the Sabbath rest that he has given you, leaves you worse off. It leaves you apart from and outside the blessing of God. The Sabbath, after the pattern of creation, is really why our lives function in weeks. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. There's no other good explanation why our lives happen in seven-day increments. A year is a year because it's how long it takes for the earth to revolve around the sun. A day is a day because it's how long it takes the earth to spin on its axis. Even months, they roughly follow the pattern of the moon. But weeks? The only reason we have weeks is because God created in six days and rested on the seventh. And he did this as a blessing, the text says, for us, for his people. He built into our regular routines a pattern of work that's followed by rest. Name one other boss who does that. Name someone else in charge who builds extra time into the schedule specifically just to give you a break. And he didn't stop there. He didn't just give them one day. The Israelites had a day of Sabbath rest every week. But then in Leviticus 25, it explains that there was also a Sabbath year of rest, the seventh year. In that year, they're supposed to let the land recover from their farming, to let the land rest from all the work that they had put into it. And after they had taken seven Sabbath years, seven sevens, there was an extra year added on. A year of even greater rest, of even more freedom, called the year of Jubilee. And in that year, they were supposed to give each other clean slates. They were supposed to forgive all their debts. They were supposed to give land back to the ancestral owners. They were supposed to free their slaves in the year of Jubilee. This command, perhaps the one we in our culture think about the least of the ten, is maybe the most referred to command in the entire Old Testament. There are more direct references to the Sabbath and how to keep it than to any other of the ten. It was central. It was integral to God's plan for his people that they should enjoy a Sabbath rest and the worship of him and to set them apart as a people for themselves. And for people who were slaves in Egypt, just weeks before God gave them these commands, what a blessing it must have been to receive that and to hear, yes, honor God. Yes, don't make images. Yes, don't take his name in vain. 
But before you do anything else, rest. They have to worship him alone. They have to worship him truly and authentically. But as he starts giving them specific commands to follow, he begins by telling them to rest. This isn't the 10th commandment. This isn't once you've done everything else perfectly, then you have earned your rest. It's as soon as he starts giving them positive commands, specific things that they have to follow and do, that he begins by telling them to take a break. Your God is not Pharaoh. He's not the Egyptian gods. He's not a taskmaster. He's not a slaveholder. He is the God who blesses his people by giving them rest, by setting aside a specific amount of time wherein they don't have to work. It's wrong to ignore God when he desires to bless his people. So then what does that look like for us today? How do we break his Sabbath command? Well, this commandment, perhaps more than any other, I think has been transformed for us. And I think we'll get there whenever we answer our third question. So some of these are going to be more general than we're used to. Some of these are going to be changed a little bit as we look at how Christ has transformed this commandment for us. But let me speak more generally about how breaking the Sabbath happens, regardless of how we understand it now as New Testament Christians. I think the Sabbath is broken when we neglect or forget God on the Sabbath, whatever that might mean. He tells us to remember that day, to keep it holy unto him, because it's his day specifically. Not that the other six also aren't his day, but there's something specific about the Sabbath that we're supposed to do in light of it being his day. So a Sabbath day which doesn't acknowledge him, which doesn't worship him, whether you happen to be at work or not, I think that breaks the command. It's his day. How dare we try to claw it back for our own purposes? Again, we'll talk about how this day has been transformed for us in a moment. But as Christians, we observe the Lord's Day on Sunday by gathering with his people, by gathering with the church that we are members of, by worshiping him with those people on that day in that time. So let me suggest to you that the Sabbath is broken more and more obscenely by you laying on your couch, by you sitting in a deer stand, by you going to the lake, by you going to a soccer tournament without going to church, then it is broken by the guy who has to work a shift at McDonald's on that day. Neglecting the worship of God, neglecting the gathering of the church breaks the fourth commandment. No matter how we end up understanding Christ's fulfillment of the Sabbath for us, Every understanding of his fulfillment and transformation of the Sabbath would include that if you uh, neglect gathering with his people, you've broken the Sabbath. You are not following this commandment. But I think it's also broken by unbroken patterns of either work or rest in your life. We can break the Sabbath by failing to either rest or failing to work. If you work seven days a week, If you never take any time off, if you are driving yourself into the dirt and just simply calling it high achievement, then you're breaking the commandment. He called for a day, at least some specific set-apart amount of time for you to rest as a blessing for you. So don't work all the time. Rest. Take a break. Relax. However, if that's all you do, If all you do is rest without ever actually working, if you rest with no work, then you're also breaking the commandment. 
He said, six days shall you labor and rest on the one seventh. If you've somehow inverted that, where you are resting for six and working for one, if you found a way to avoid work and to call that rest, which is actually more likely to be laziness unto the Lord, then you break it just the same. We can disobey this command by failing to rest or by failing to work. And I think our attitudes with how we approach the day can break it as well. If we approach his Sabbath day, his Sabbath rest, wherever that means for us, in bitterness, seeing the rest of God not as a blessing, but as if it's in the way, then I think we fail to remember the Sabbath as a blessing from God. Amos rebuked the Israelites for this exact same attitude. Amos chapter 8, verses 4 through 6 say this, Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of the wheat." Certainly, they had evil business practices which were being condemned there, but part of that is indicated by their disregard for the Sabbath. They viewed it as an obstacle in the way of greater industry, an obstacle in the way of them making more money, an obstacle in the way of them having more productivity. I mean, I don't know that Chick-fil-A is the perfect company, but think about how much more money they would make if they were open that extra day. They would have my business every single Sunday night. That's at least like 20 bucks in a year. And yet they don't. Surely they don't see it in a way, in the way. Just think how much profit you'd be able to make if rest didn't have to happen. Think how much you'd get done if you just didn't have to sleep. Think how efficient your business would be if those darn employees would just work through their breaks. Seeing rest not as a blessing from God, but a hurdle that we haven't yet figured out how to get rid of, I think that violates this command to remember the Sabbath as a blessing. Which brings us to our third and probably the most important question today in our questions. How has Jesus fulfilled and transformed this command for us? And this command, believe it or not, is probably the most controversial of the Ten Commandments when we get to this point specifically. There is a wide range of opinion for what we're supposed to do now in light of the Sabbath. How has Christ fulfilled and transformed it for us? There's people who think that because the Sabbath is tied back to creation, that it's still in effect for Christians. We still observe weeks, don't we? Regardless of Christ's fulfillment of the law, that we should be as strict in our observance as the Israelites should have been, who actually, whenever you read it, were told to keep the Sabbath even to the point of a penalty of death. There are people who think that we should keep the Sabbath with that same amount of strictness. I don't know if they really advocate the death penalty anymore, but they advocate everything else. And on the other hand, there are people who think there is now no Sabbath day for Christians. They say Christ fulfilled the law. We don't have to obey all the other ceremonial aspects of the law. We don't offer sacrifices in the temple anymore, do we? So no, we don't have to obey the Sabbath anymore. It was temporary. It was under the Old Testament law. And the arguments behind both of these positions, even the two extremes, they make a lot of sense whenever you start reading into them. And I think that's why these questions can be hard to answer. 
So as I said in the beginning, I am going to leave more on the bone this week than maybe any other week. I don't have the time, I don't have the ability, frankly, to answer all your Sabbath questions today. But let me point out just a few ways that Christ has fulfilled and transformed the Sabbath for us before I then offer some guardrails for how I think we should observe this commandment today. I think Christ, first of all, has fulfilled this command by keeping holy the things that were holy. He understood he lived his entire life as an act of self-worship. He didn't merely keep the Sabbath as holy, but he kept every moment of every day as holy. He lived a perfectly holy life, obeying the Sabbath command in its fullness. Even when the Pharisees came back and they tried to accuse him of breaking the Sabbath, he showed them as Lord of the Sabbath, as we'll see, that he never broke it. He proved that to them. So he followed this law. He fulfilled it for us by observing every Sabbath and keeping every moment of every day holy unto the Lord. But how he transformed it really is where things get interesting, right? Though he fulfilled it by keeping everything holy unto the Lord, which was holy, he transformed it, first of all, by changing our understanding of the command itself. He removed the Pharisees' requirement, which was do nothing, and he replaced it with a new standard, which was do godly good. The Pharisees were holding to a very strict observance of the Sabbath. You could do absolutely nothing on that day. They had a certain number of steps you were allowed to take on the Sabbath. And they pulled that pattern from the law, they thought. They said, this is what God is requiring of us. We have to follow it and fulfill it to the letter. That's why the Pharisees were so mad at Jesus and his disciples throughout the Gospels regarding the Sabbath. At the end of Mark 2, the disciples were hungry on the Sabbath, and as they walked through grain fields, they plucked some heads of grain. They rubbed it between their fingers to thresh the grain, and then they ate the edible parts of the grain. Jesus defended them to the Pharisees. Even though the Pharisees said, no, they're working. Look, they're threshing grain. They're plucking wheat from the fields. That's work. But Jesus defended them because he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he, as Christ, is Lord of both man and Sabbath. So evidently, doing what is necessary for survival absolutely was allowed. Doing what needed to be done on the Sabbath was allowed. He's loosening their understanding of the restrictions to say that the disciples were allowed to do what they did. And similarly, in Mark 3, just the very next verses, he healed a man on the Sabbath. And then he turned and asked the Pharisees if that was okay. And they were silent. They had no answer. Because in their heads, it was wrong, even though this guy's hand had been healed. So healing, doing good to someone else, evidently was already allowed on the Sabbath. Another instance in Luke 13, Jesus healed a woman by casting a demon out of her. And the synagogue ruler was angry because it was the Sabbath. No work should be done on the Sabbath. Even taking a demon out of someone else, he said, no, 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 that can wait until Monday. Healing can wait until Monday, he said. But Jesus made clear that spiritual freedom, that's fair game on the Sabbath. It's okay. So he's systematically and consistently, obviously, widening our understanding of the strict requirement of the Sabbath day. That you can do what you need to do to survive. You can do good for someone else. You can grow spiritually on the Sabbath. So even for someone who 
wants to hold to the Old Testament law here, who wants to say we have to observe the Sabbath in this same way, even for them, in light of Christ, there has to be some soft edges around our Sabbath observance in light of the ministry of Jesus. We aren't allowed to be Pharisees about this here. But he also transformed the day by changing the day itself. He changed when it was observed. Until the perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection of Christ, the Sabbath was observed on Saturday, from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. But after Christ, who died on Friday, descended to the dead on Saturday, and rose to life again on Sunday, the early church changed their practice. No longer did they gather to remember and observe the Sabbath on Saturday. Now they gather as a people to worship their risen Lord on Sunday. That's why we as Christians now gather on Sunday rather than on Saturday. What we observe now even has a different name from the text than the Sabbath. We don't call it the Sabbath anymore. We call it the Lord's Day. That's not just custom. That's scriptural. In Acts, they gathered together on the first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7. In Revelation, when John receives the vision, which is that book, he receives it while he is in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Revelation 1.10. And that's a huge change for us. Because when you think about it, no longer do our weeks end in Sabbath rest after six days of hard labor. Now, our weeks begin with the holy celebration of our God who rose from the dead. We don't have to work six days so that we then earn our one day of rest. We receive our rest based on his work at the very start of the week. And then all we do for the rest of the week, those other six days, is continue to live our lives in response to the work that he's done for us. Whereas the original Sabbath was built on the pattern of creation that God created for six days and then rested, the Lord's day now is built on the pattern of new creation. That when he rose from the dead, he recreated us in his own image. God has recreated us after the image of Christ because of his gospel. We now are a new creation people, a people who have been born again to a living hope. So we no longer have a strict observance of rest we had to earn, even though that was a blessing for us. We now have a joyous worship of the new life that we've received. That's our pattern. We keep the day holy, not by refraining from work entirely, but by proclaiming the work that was done entirely for us. And his finished work itself, that also transforms the commandment. We're no longer under the law in which the command was given because he fulfilled it for us. And he fulfilled it specifically that he might give rest to his people. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do in sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's what he did. He fulfilled it. He gave us his rest in light of his work. He did all of the work for us. He didn't come to replace the law with a harder one, even as he upped the commands of most of the Ten Commandments explicitly. He said, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He's calling people to himself specifically to give them rest, a greater and more full rest than what they've already enjoyed under the law, one day out of six. He's calling them to a life of rest, a life of celebration. A life not bearing the burden of having to fulfill that same law because he has already done so for us. A life where what has replaced the Old Testament law, a new law of love for the one who loved us first and gave us his perfect life in the place of our sinful death when we repented and believed. A life where that new law is easy. It's light. He's changed the very nature of our rest by transforming the Sabbath for his people. So what now do we do in light of what he has done with the Sabbath? As New Testament Christians, after Christ has fulfilled and transformed the fourth commandment, what does that look like now for us? Well, I think the first thing we need to remember is that we shouldn't now attempt to recreate the law regarding this command. I'm not going to go too far into the particulars of how much Sabbath observance is too much or too little, which businesses can or cannot be closed on the Sabbath, whether that's something that we have to observe even at all. That's partly by design because I think most of these answers, when we get down to it, are a matter of conscience as New Testament Christians. And I don't just get that as me talking. I'm getting that from Paul in Scripture. Romans 14, verses 5 and 6 say this, "'One person esteems one day is better than another,' while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. We're pretty sure that he's talking about the Sabbath when he refers to days here. He has got a broader point in this text, but when he refers specifically to days, I think he's talking about Old Testament days that they were observing. One esteems it particularly, while the other esteems all days the same. But because they're both obeying their spirit-driven conscience, and neither are denying clear scriptural passages, Paul says to each his own, let each one be convinced in his own mind. Again, he says something similar in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Here he says something similar, but he's referring directly to the Sabbath here in this text. He's saying, if you feel the Christian freedom, which is what he was talking about in Colossians 2, to no longer adhere to the strict rest requirements from the law because of Christ, then remember the substance of the command, which belongs to Christ. And do your best to obey it without passing judgment on other Christians who do or do not go out to eat on Sunday afternoons. So we need to bear with one another in grace with these things. We can't recreate the law. I hope you'll allow me to quickly offer three ways that I think we can obey this command as widely applicable as I could make them. First, I think we can obey the fourth commandment today in the pattern of Christ by keeping holy things holy. This is after Christ's pattern. I think it's a helpful reminder as we live our lives. We are a people set apart for God. We are holy in his eyes. 
Therefore, be holy as he is holy. We should pursue what he has said is good, and we should abstain from what he has said is evil. When it comes to the specifics of the day, while I do think patterns of rest and worship on Sunday specifically are helpful, I think that's a good pattern. It's a good thing to do, to have that day set apart, to do things differently than you do on the other days. It's a good thing to have those spiritual rhythms on this day specifically. While I think that's true, the only burden I am going to lay on you regarding this Sabbath observance is that you gather with God's people in worship on the Lord's day. Your consistent, your present, your engaged church attendance is the clearest, most direct way for you to obey this command today. In the Old Testament, they killed people for violating the Sabbath. So allow me to not nearly go that far, but to gently remind you that as church members, you're supposed to be here every Sunday. We have it at the same time every week. I don't know if you knew that or not. You don't have to wonder whether it's going to be there, whether we're meeting on Sunday, whether it's going to be at 11, whether it's going to be in this room. We do it every week, and you're welcome absolutely every week. If you're a church member, you are more than welcome. You should be here every single week. Every Sunday, worshiping with your fellow church members is not too high a bar to ask. Now, we can talk about exceptions. You're sick, okay, I get it. Someone else is sick, okay, I get it. You have one vacation a year and it happens to fall where your flight was on a Sunday, all right, yep, I get it. We can talk about exceptions, but if the exception is that you're here, rather than not here, I don't think that you can get away with not violating this commandment in light of that. That's not fine. Let's keep holy things holy, including ourselves, but also this specific Sunday hour where we're able to worship with God's people. Second, I think that we should rest in Christ's work. That's how we can observe the Sabbath today. We should be people of grace who are living lives of grace. He said on the cross, as he died for your sins, he said, it is finished. So there's nothing left for you to do now to earn your salvation. You are saved by grace through faith. So don't think that God is expecting you to work seven days a week for his love and mercy. Because he's just simply not. He did the work. He gave you that rest. You couldn't do it, and you don't have to do it. So now don't try to take his place. Don't think that the world revolves around you and your effort now because it didn't then. You can't play God for yourself, so you also can't play God for anyone else either. You didn't save you, you can't save them. The call to rest ultimately is a call to acknowledge that there is one single sovereign over all creation, and his name absolutely is not Nathan Miller. Sleep in peace, God is awake. But finally, I think we can obey this Sabbath command today by looking forward to the rest that we will receive. We look forward to the greater rest even as we work now. Hebrews 4, verses 9 through 11 say this. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. 
Hebrews 3 and 4, those whole chapters talk extensively about Christ, who through his work has become our rest for us. And we now live the Christian life looking forward to the day when all of our earthly work is done, and we might be able to enter into that heavenly rest in Christ. We work now, yes, we strive to enter that rest, but not to earn our salvation, not to work for it, but to work it out with fear and trembling. We strive to enter that rest. So strive. Work is not a bad thing. Obey God. Follow the commandments. But remember that whole time that there is a rest coming which has already been accomplished for you. Remember the Sabbath rest of God and look forward to the final rest that you will enter into. An eternity of God's grace freely given to you by which you will be blessed as you enjoy that God who gave it to you for all of eternity. That's how we can obey it. Not by making up our own rules to follow, but by looking forward to his rest, by resting ourselves in the work that he has done, and by doing our best to strive to enter that rest by keeping things which are holy, holy. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to gather with your people on this Lord's day. Thank you for the gift that you've given us of rest. Thank you for the gift you've given us of Christ who's done the work for us which enables us to rest. Thank you for being a God who loves your people so much that you forced us to cease our work and to begin our worship of you. Thank you for the life we now live a life of celebration, which begins that way and carries on throughout the week, rather than a life that has to build and be earned in rest. Help for us to strive to follow your commands and to have grace, mercy, charity toward those who might see them a little bit differently than we do. Thank you for your rest. Help us to enter it with grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.